This is Hunting Land, the podcast for land hunters and land owners with real-time rut reports, waterfowl migrations, and how-tos for habitat management and land investment. I'm Joe Baia. I'm here with Clint Flowers. Clint, I understand you've been hunting the land a little bit. You were in uh, southeast Kansas? Yeah, yeah. We uh, took advantage of the rifle season, a few days of it at least. So I guess up there, what they were what, post-rut? That's right. Now, I saw a picture. It looked like you had some ducks, too. Yeah, the already above average wind in Kansas compared to, to what we're used to got even stronger. So we uh, gave up on the deer a few mornings and went and chased the ducks. And How was it? Worked out pretty well. We caught it. I think they, they froze up north of us uh, you know, pretty hard. So it was. We, I saw a lot of birds, <laughs> uh, definitely a lot more mallards than I'm used to seeing in pintail as well. It was a, it was a great trip. Cool. So it's always fun hunting those decoying birds. Yeah. We do a lot of uh, shooting at birds flying so, around here. But. I'm not used to seeing birds that haven't been blasted at for three uh-huh. months solid. Yeah. Well, tell me about the deer hunting. Uh, so it's post-ruts. I guess y'all are hunting food sources? Yep. Primarily. And it's just different up there. You know, they've got these big open fields and we're used to our deer being so spread out amongst so much habitat. Well, their habitat is very concentrated. Mm-hmm. So you've got these travel corridors and it's a lot easier to, to get on them. So what you're trying to say is basically is, is that you feel like you're a superior hunter because you hunt in Alabama most of the time. Is that, is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, good deal. Speaking of the rut, I'm really excited about our next guest. He's a deer program coordinator for the Alabama Department of Wildlife, Freshwater Fisheries, Alabama Department of Conservation Natural Resources. We've got Chris Cook with us today. Chris, welcome to the show, man. I'm sitting here looking at Great Days Outdoors magazine. There's a really interesting article by John Phillips in the December issue about why Alabama's rut is so mixed up. So welcome to the show, man. Tell me a little bit. Why, why exactly is that? Why are our deer rutting so many different times of the year? Best explanation for a lot of these outlier, if you will, the deer, the local populations that are breeding really late, especially in North Alabama, can be tied directly back to, to the stocking source that was used when, when deer populations were restocked back in the 50s and 60s. We used, I say we, the, the Department of Wildlife and Fresh, or Conservation and Natural Resources used uh, primarily deer from our wildlife sanctuaries in Clark County to, to stock much of the state, including a lot of those places up there. Uh, also used deer from Marengo and, and Sumter County, Pickens County, a lot of places. So a lot of times those are the, if you're looking at the magazine article, looking at that map, a lot of those red dots up in North Alabama are, are those Sumter, Marengo, Pickens County restockings. And, and the black ones, you, you go back and look at the old stocking records and they're almost right dead on the exact location where the old restocking record says Clark County deer were released. So that's, that's typically the best explanation. But, uh, of course you, you can, uh, influence the, the breeding window, if you will, a little, a little bit with management practices, but, uh, it appears that most of that's attributed directly to the stocking source. Well, yeah, I'm looking at that map now and there's, you know, there, there's different color dots based on the average conception date that you guys have, have researched. And, you know, it looks like, uh, right now, you know, the 16th of December through the 31st of December, that's a yellow dot. And I'm seeing yep, mostly Northern part of the state. There are some deer, uh, along the, uh, Lake Eufaula and the, you know, Choctahatchee River that are, that are doing some late December, uh, rutting. But what, what are you guys seeing on the public land, uh, around Alabama? Where's, where's the rut going down right now? Probably the one that's kind of, uh, just kind of t- 
tailing off right now, uh, besides Black Warrior, which I think y'all heard about before, is uh, would be Chocolaca WMA. It's in Cleburne County. It's one of our WMAs. It's on national forest land, but it's one of those areas that that deer will start breeding. You know, we we've collected data up there, and we've had deer as early as as the first of, of November, or deer that were bred as early as first of November up there. Majority of them start getting bred the last few days of November and it'll last on into about this time of the year. We've got a pretty good data set from there. And if you look at all of that data and kind of pile it all and summarize it, uh, the average date of conception is the 4th of December. So they're kind of on the tail end. Well, you're talking about Chakalaka. What, what's the terrain like there at Chakalaka? You know, I've only been to Chakalaka a couple of times, and, but it, it is, like I said, it's one of our national forests. WMAs. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of big open pines. There's up, upland hardwoods. They do they do a lot of. Uh, they have some mountain longleaf habitats in that area. So so you can expect to to have some hilly terrain, but you'll have some some open old pines. Sounds pretty diverse. Uh, you know, it, it's similar. It's kind of similar. I, I reports that I that I have and a little bit of time that I spent up there. It seems to be pretty similar to. To what we have down at Oak Mulgee, which I'm a lot more familiar with. Well, what about and, Oak Mulgee? Oak the, Mulgee uh... Yeah, speaking of Oak Mulgee, it's one of those areas that right now is when the the rutting, the breeding actually is, is starting to pick up on on that particular area. Um, now, how big is Oak Mulgee? It's about forty five thousand acres, I believe forty four, forty five thousand acres. So it's it's a, one of our bigger WMAs, uh, not quite as big as as Chakalaka, which is you know it's pushing 57,000 acres, but it's, it's still a, a, a very large piece of land. Again, it's national forest land. Uh, it's located over in the western part of the state. It has, pro- most of it is in Hale and Bibb County. A little bit of the of the WMA actually is in Tuscaloosa and Perry County as well, but majority of it's in Hale and, and uh, Bibb Counties. Now I'm seeing some yellow dots right on the Bibb-Shelby County line. What am I looking at there? That's right around where probably where the dot for William R. Ireland or Cahaba River Wildlife Management Area is another one of our WMAs where we we have primarily December breeding. It'll peak somewhere around Christmas, and so uh, again, it's one of those. It's like Oak Mulgee. It's, it's this is the time to be there. Uh, bucks are on their feet looking and breeding. They, I mean, they're finding deer, so um, they're going to be uh, a lot more vulnerable because they're they've got a lot of other things on their mind maybe than than trying to stay alive so it's a, it's a great time to be hunting both those areas it's been the end to uh many a good man chris it's, yeah 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 the cahaba river it's it's a little it's a lot different habitat than uh than what you'll find at, at chocolate or oak mulgy it's uh land that's it's leased by uh through forever wild and uh it, the majority of it's owned by Mopus, which is a, a private timber management company and uh, some other private landowners a lot of the properties reclaim strip mining land and so it's you know it's got some got some hardwoods along the some of the bigger drainages and then it's got a lot of different age pines a lot of young pines in these in these reclaimed areas so it's a it's a whole lot different animal than than hunting on those national forest tracks it's again can be can be quite hilly in places but it's some hills uh, and hollers but they have they typically kill some really good deer off of uh, Cahaba River as far as body weights and and antler size. So they they and they don't have 
don't have that much hunting pressure considering how close they are to, to such a big population base uh, in in Jefferson Shelby County. Well, Chris, uh, this has been really informative, man. It's just really interesting, all the research you guys have, have put together. I really enjoyed reading the article that you guys did with with John Phillips. Um, it's, it's just so neat and unique that Alabama has such a – a mixed up rut like we do so i appreciate all the research you guys do and putting that together uh, thanks for being on the show man thanks for that report all right you're welcome anytime all right clint well that's the pleasure side of this man it's it's hunting those whitetails and hunting those ducks that's why we that's why we want to own land and, and invest in land and uh you know we're going to start a series on here about choosing the right tract of land for you and for your goals and so today we're talking with john ross havard John Ross, you're, you are a registered forester, but you also are a, a land professional with National Land Realty. And today we want to talk to you about, uh, you wrote a great article uh, called The Three Rules of Land. And, and really what those pertain to with regards to investment in timberland. So welcome to the show, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. So what are these rules? Let's let's hear about this. I mean, if I'm a guy, and I am that guy, I'm, not, I'm a guy and I want to own my own land, of course I want to be able to recreate on it and do all those fun things that we talk about, but but here's here's really the, the crux of the question. I got to be able to sell this to my wife, okay? So <laughs> this it, is an investment, baby, it, I it's promise. An, it's an investment, you know, this is an, ex- I, I need that good excuse. So how do we find that? How do we find that? What's, what's the first thing we got to look for if we're buying a tract and, and we want it to be a good investment for the future? Well, the, the first thing of that is I'll say any piece of property has multiple uses. So there's, there's selling point number one for your wife, but as far as the focus of my you haven't met my, my wife, article that obviously. you mentioned it's it's really with regard to a, an investment for timber for harvesting and cutting and growing and selling timber right you know the the three rules I, that I mentioned in that article first you, you got location you have to know where the property is and what's best suited for it uh, you have you have to have access to it and you have to have accessibility to it and access and accessibility kind of go hand in hand but they're not the same. Well, let's focus in on location a little bit. Now, I mean, we all, all right. everybody's heard that old adage in real estate, location, 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 right? And it sure. might be in the residential world, it might be the uh, distance to schools or, uh, you know, if, crossing state lines, it may be the tax environment. What is it for timber? So for timber, your, your biggest thing with location is you got you to have, if you're, if you're growing timber for economic purposes, you got to have somewhere to take it. And if you're looking at a piece of property that has a really good stand of timber or it has really good timber growing ground, uh, if it's 200 miles from the nearest mill that takes the type of timber that you're growing, it doesn't really matter. That timber is basically firewood or it's pretty to look at or food for critters. What would you Um, say the hauling distance, maximum hauling distance is for a product? Preferably, you would want to be within 60 miles of your um, your target mills. Depending on what products you're looking at, higher and better products, you might get further out. Or if there's a desperation situation like uh, we're in for certain products right now, you might push that out to 100 miles. But I, you know, for the purposes of identifying property that you're interested in buying strictly for investment purposes, I would try to focus in on as many mills as I could get close to within 60 miles you know if you've got a few more within 80 or 100 miles 
that's just gravy. Now, is the type of mill important? So you've got obviously you different types of of mills. So I mean, what what types of mills are you going to be looking for, and corresponding to what type of timber? Right. So there's you know a lot of people don't realize they think you know there's pine and there's hardwood, but within pine and hardwood there's a lot of variation that goes along with that. You know your pine mills are going to go from pulpwood or chip mills that that either make paper or chip uh, chip trees to ship to pulp mills. Uh, you've got chip and saw mills, which is basically a, a lower grade saw timber. They, you know, part of that wood would go to pulp wood and the rest of it would would probably make dimensional lumber, but such as two by fours or two by sixes or maybe four by fours. Uh, you have a traditional saw timber, which makes bigger dimensional lumber and then and higher grade products, maybe decking. There might be some flooring or other, other, um, Specialty type products might come out of that with higher value wood. And then uh, you have pole mills, which are pretty geographically specific. There's not a lot of pole mills, but there are certain areas that are heavy to pole mills. So if Um, I'm understanding it correctly, it seems like, let's say you own a a tract of timberland and it has multiple, multiple uh, products on that. Mm -hmm. So you may have some, some of your land's got poles, some of it's got pulp wood, if you are within good reach of, say, a pole mill, but not a, or maybe the other way around, if you're close to a pulp wood, uh, a pulp mill, but not close to uh, a mill that deals with poles, that that's not going to help you to have those poles. You're not going to get as good of a price on those poles as you would on on pulp. Is that that's your, right. I mean, if, if right? you're if you're outside of whatever you know, whatever the or the maximum hauling distance would be let's like you know let's say for poles it, it you might get up to that 80 to 100 mile range just because poles are, are a little bit harder to come by but if you're more than 100 miles away from a pole mill those poles are not poles they're saw timber or they're chip and saw or they're pulp wood or whatever whatever size and specification category they fall into or an easier um, example may be pulp wood since we have such a sort of a glut of it right now yeah <laughs> sort, sort very of. <laughs> uh uh, very extreme, I guess you'd say extreme variations in prices for pulp wood around the state of right. Alabama right now, strictly based and that's on that. Really, the kind of the, that's really the most basic kind of building block in the timber production world is, is pulp wood. That's the first thing you could cut. It's you know when if you're in a traditional rotation for uh, planted pine plantations, you're you're gonna you're going to be cutting pulp wood. You're going to have to deal with it. Even if you're trying to grow great big saw logs, you're going to have pulp wood and you're going to have to cut it to get to those saw log stage trees. I mean, you, you, it's just something that's going to have to be dealt with. So, so it's something to, to ton, keep in mind. You've got to cut it so that your plantation doesn't regress. Right. You can't just wait for the market. You've got a, you've got a, you've got a window of time. You can wait and see how the market rebounds. Typically, what, what is that window? You know, you could probably push it out five years beyond when you're planning to schedule it, but five years is is lost money, it's lost growth, um, it's added risk for uh, insect infestations or you know problems with fires or disease. There's a risk in, involved in in everything and pushing your plantation beyond their their limits. You know, a piece of property can only support so much biological life at any given time. And as fast as pine tree grows, when you get to that close to that limit, either they're going to start dying one at a time or they're going to start dying acres at a time. And it seems like uh, like what you're saying, you're talking about diversity and the type of timber you have. 
being important in, in, in relation to what type of sawmills you're close to, but what, what about in regards to your goals for the property? So if you, if you, your cash requirements, when do you need to harvest that timber? Um, yeah, that's right. It, it, it doesn't make any sense to, um, if you're, if you're going into purchasing a piece of property and you would like cash flow out of it within five years, if you're buying something that is, you know, less than 10 years old, that's not, that's not likely feasible. If, you know, if you're buying a, a 10 year old stand of loblolly, then in five years, you theoretically should be thinning older, you know, the older it is, the more, more flexibility you have. Uh, but that, you know, it, you also have to keep in mind what mills you're working with and, and what your plans are, what you're, what you're trying to accomplish with the property in addition to, uh, your economic goals. Well, John Ross, you know, you, you, you're talking about location, but you, you know, in, in hand in hand, I guess, with location is access. So right. tell me, you know, the second rule that you give is, is access. What's important about access? What, what are folks need to be looking for in relation to access and a good timberland investment? Well, access, you know, obviously is your ability to get into the property and, and, a lot of property in the state of Alabama has good access. It, it joins a public road. You can drive right up to it. It's, you know, it's no problem. A lot of other properties have deeded easements that go into them, uh, which is, you know, a legal right of way to cross other people's property to get to a piece of property. And then you have a lot of landlocked property or undeeded easements or prescriptive easements or, you know, there's a bunch of different ways you can look at those properties, but they may have a road that goes to them, but there's no legal there's no legal document that gives you permission to go in there. You have to ask permission to go in there. Um, and that can affect your ability to harvest at will. It's not necessarily a deal breaker. If you're looking at a piece of property that doesn't have a deeded easement to it and it doesn't have access, it just depends on who your neighbors are. Timber companies make good neighbors because they want to be able to get to their property. They're not usually uh, hard to deal with to get to your property across them. They typically are pretty easy to easy to deal with. Uh, large landowners kind of do the same thing. Not all of them, but a lot of them. When you get into small parcels that you have to cross multiple landowners, may have houses involved, that might be something that would Are you require driving through more Granddaddy's research. favorite food plot to get there? Yeah. Or you need to go cut timber in the middle of rut? Yeah. If, yeah, yeah, there's a, if there's a food plot that actually the road goes through <laughs> and, and they've got it planted with turnips and yeah. $1,500 an acre game mix and all that good stuff. And then you go Red plow on a, a road right through there to cut timber. They're probably not going to be thrilled with your, uh, your presence there. Well, you're talking about the different types of access, uh, whether it's a deeded easement, a prescriptive easement, you know, it's important, but how does that, how does that relate? You know, part of a good investment, any investment is your exit strategy. So mm-hmm. certainly you want to make money on, on the the timber that you're growing but uh you want to if you decide you want to sell that property you decide you need to sell that property how does access affect that you know down the line value that property value does it uh if it's got bad access how can that decrease the property value just as you're gonna take that in consideration when you're buying a property it's you know the the lower the worst acts the worse the access is the the less desirable that piece of property is going to be for anybody and you know the next guy is going to be the same way 
and even in situations where you have good neighbors and you can get across if you don't have an easement, it's probably going to have some impact on the value, on the price. Just because they don't know those neighbors, you can, you know. And those neighbors can change. Right. Well, and, and I, it probably affects your ability to get financing. Uh, yes. A lot, of, a lot of times it will. And so if financing isn't as readily available, I guess, I guess that's going to bring property value down as well. Potentially. And yes. On another note about access, I mean, that's, that's legal access, but what about weather-related access? How does that affect you? I would say it can, I mean, as far as, as, far as timber values go, it can have a, a bigger impact than, than just about anything aside from proximity to your mills. Because if you don't have what they call wet weather loggable property, which means you can go in there when it's been raining in the wet season and the trees are not soaking up and disposing of water pretty readily. Uh, if it gets soft and mushy in there um, and you can't get into the property because there's a bunch of mud holes and the creek is up and you know various other possible problems that would prevent you from getting into the property or out of the property, then you're not going to be able to cut it when the market is at its peak, which is typically during those wet times. And that, and that market increases, like you're talking about, it peaks because the pool of resources is decreased. Is that right? That's right. It's simply it a supply-demand supply function. Well, you you know, you brought up uh, wet weather logging and just being able to get get to the trees to actually cut them and haul them and do that th- type of thing. That that's a good segue into your your final rule. Uh, which is accessibility. So tell me mm-hmm. what you mean when you say access and accessibility. What's the difference? Well, it's really just kind of like we were just talking about, you know, the access is is um, more along your legal right or your or even your physical right to uh, or ability to actually get to the property. Accessibility is, is that access seasonal? Is it um, limited by bad weather? Is it limited by steep topography is it limited by creeks or bridges or um you know or hunting season you know Mm -hmm. if you've got a neighbor you've got a cross that says you can cross your property your my property anytime up absolutely up to and including the day of opening day of deer season and then it's off until the closing day of deer season you know that's a problem if you've got a legal easement they can't really do that yeah, but it sounds like then they could. It sounds like location, access, accessibility all play a role in the value of the timber itself, but concurrently with that, they play a role in the value of the dirt underneath it. That's right, because if I mean if if you could never get top dollar for your timber, then the land is not as valuable. So it might be growing it may have the best soil quality or site quality of anything in the market but it's got an accessibility window of only three to four months a year. So it it really limits its true value because of that. And then you you throw in on top of that, you know, some of this ground is kind of swampy. It may have $5,000 an acre, you know, hardwood timber on it. But if you can only cut it in a dry winter, then, you know, you might be able to cut it once every five to 25 years. (laughs) Like you and I have witnessed in person in these river swamps around here. Correct. So, you know, it, it sounds like that you, these rules can kind of kind of be rules of thumb, so to speak. But as we know, with any rule of thumb, there's always exceptions to that. So, right. you know, I, I mean, I, what, what are some exceptions? Uh, that's a good question, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> 
one example we could look at is just, you know, the, the fact that if you're on a, a traditionally summertime logging site where you wouldn't normally cut in the wintertime, but you're clear cutting, you could probably push the limits of that as long as your equipment is operable and you can get the, you know, the timber out. Um, you're not worried about excessive root damage. If you're, you know, if you're thinning, you have to be mindful of what you're leaving. If you damage all the roots, then they're going to die. But if you're clear cutting, you may be able to push the limits of the of the property just a little bit and and still have an operation. But it's you know not every property is the same. It's really important to uh, have somebody who's familiar with what's going on. A professional consulting forester would would be somebody you would want to talk to in situations like that or any other situation really, just to find out what the right move is and how to how to go about the process to uh, to make sure that you're you're doing the right thing for your property and protect your investment. I mean, that's right. That's one right. bad decision could could affect you for for decades. That's right. Yeah, doing doing the wrong thing at the wrong time can really have long lasting impacts on a piece of property. And uh, with that said, you know, just calling somebody who has a, a forestry license is not necessarily the same thing as calling a consultant a consulting forester. Uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of people that have ulterior motives. If if you know. If, if their main goal is to buy timber from you, that's that's their goal. It's not to it's not to necessarily make sure that you're doing the right thing for you. Where a consultant um, so it's re- is a really hire, hiring somebody who's a third party um, representative on your behalf is is very important. You mean the guy that's buying stuff from me doesn't want me to get top dollar? You'd be surprised how many people don't realize. <laughs> it's like that. trading in a used car. <laughs> What's my car worth? Well. <laughs> All right. Well, John Ross, thanks, man. I, I really enjoyed this today. Uh, I learned a lot. If folks want to get in touch with you and ask you some more questions about, about investing in Timberland, uh, how can they do it? Uh, you can email me. My, my email address is, is pretty easy. It's Havard. That's H-A-V-A-R-D at nationalland.com. Or you can call me at 205-300-5007. Clint, that was great stuff from John Ross. I he mentions a lot about wet weather logging. What are you seeing right now in terms of that market? We have been, in my opinion, probably in some of the wettest weather, consistent wet weather over the last year plus that I've I've ever seen. And timber prices that I've experienced are really showing it. Uh, like like he said, it it we get this wet, it limits where you can log feasibly without damaging the site. So the sites that you can do that on, it just makes it more of a a high price commodity so you know some products have doubled in price and been that way for several months and uh could stay that way for even longer or or continue to rise so it really is in in, you know paramount in understanding your market before you buy timberland in it yeah it really does sound like there's a lot there's a lot to it for sure all right folks that's going to do it for us this this week as always y'all stay safe out there and we'll see you next week all right folks do you like the show if you do subscribe and give us a review wherever you listen to podcasts and if you don't like the show or you'd like us to email it to you drop us a line at, at pros at landhunting.com and remember that land hunting no g